1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: Real love is calling listen, truth opens up your eyes. Don't let your motive be, I wanna see if I can turn heads. Just dress in a way that is honorable and modest. Now the word modesty here is actually the Greek word, kosmios, and we get our English word, cosmetics. So he's saying, go ahead, you know, Cosmetics, not a bad thing. Dress modestly, cosmeos. Splash a, a little paint on. It doesn't matter if it, it, it. Anyway, I mean, just you know, it's okay. You don't don't have to be all plain Jane. You know, it's okay to look nice, look your best. But if your motive is I want to turn heads, well, well, then that's, that's a reflection of the heart.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. What is your motive when choosing what to wear? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you through the book of 1 Timothy what it means to dress honorably. To dress honorably means to dress in a way that is modest. Pastor Gary teaches that this doesn't mean you have to be a plain Jane. You can still look nice and wear makeup, but with modesty. Your motive shouldn't be to turn heads, but to dress in a way that is honoring to the Lord. Your beauty comes from Christ within. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The your connection, run your new life.
2: this is why we teach straight through the bible here at cornerstone because we want to give you the whole counsel of god's word um i'm i'm going to be accountable to stand before god one day and uh and this is why in james 3 1 it says not many of you should should want to be teachers because teachers will be judged more strictly and, and, I, and I need with a clear conscience to be able to say to the Lord, I did my best, Lord, and, and, I, and I did my best to go through all the Scripture and deliver the whole counsel of God. And so this is one of these passages where, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little difficult. It's a little, it's a little tricky. I need to walk very carefully and tiptoe through some of this. I'm, I want to say a few things before we actually get into the text. First of all, there's no other world religion that validates and values women like Christianity. I mean, when you look at how much Jesus valued women and how tenderly he interacted with them, Christianity and and being a Christ follower is, is the one world religion that values and treats women with the dignity that they deserve. Muslim women cannot say that. Hindu women cannot say that. Buddhist women cannot say that. Even Jewish women. Listen, and some of this that I'm about to say will play into this text. There's a Jewish rabbi in Washington, D.C. who read an article in the Washington Post where they had quoted me, and so he called me, and, um, and we've developed a friendship. But he's, he's not a believer in Jesus. He's, he's a, an, a very strict conservative Jew. But I've been to his synagogue, he invited me down to a synagogue, he's been here to Cornerstone, we've had many lunches together, you, you go into his synagogue, and the, the synagogue is uh, separated with a partition between the two, and men sit on one, one side and women sit on the other. So even among, even in Judaism, you go to the, to the Western Wall, to the Wailing Wall today in Jerusalem, women have their own side, you don't mingle with men. And so there's a whole separate section. Christianity is the one world religion, and it's more than a religion, we know. Christianity is a relationship with Christ that values and esteems women and integrates women unlike any other world religion. And the reason is because Christianity is true to God's original intent and design. God created male and female And he created male and female with equal value. And the uniqueness and distinction of male and femaleness should not be blurred. Otherwise, when you blur those lines, then the value becomes blurred and the equal and unique contribution of the sexes is lost. And we're we're living in that day right now. Part of the reason why this passage makes some people a little nervous or anxious to to walk through this is is because the more our culture has has made an intentional effort, and I think you all would agree with me on this, made an intentional effort to become a genderless society, the moment you start saying things that, like, hey, God has specific roles for men and God has specific roles for women, people are like, oh no, not now you've just, you've defined the sexes and we don't like that because we're trying to just blend it all together. And that's now the whole problem with the whole sexual identity, gender identity confusion, uh, bathroom issues. Okay, everybody follow me with this? The, the public restrooms now and, and all, of this, all of this nonsense. And, and so because culture and society is moving more in that direction, we want to be a genderless society because then if we're genderless, now we'll be more equal. Well, that, that's just ridiculous. I mean, God has uniquely created men and women distinct and wonderful and valuable and equally so and so so why why all of a sudden do we think that just by creating a genderless society we're, we're going to uh, help help the value and distinction of men and women we, we aren't we're just blurring the line into obscurity and and so you know there's nothing wrong with talking about how are, are men uniquely wired how are women uniquely wired and honoring those things and understanding god 's framework for the home and for the church and, and, and for how he desires in, in each uniqueness that each gender should should express and contribute to the kingdom work, and so we need to appreciate the differences we need to appreciate and, and embrace and value the differences so this, the whole thing that society 's done makes it harder now to be honest with you, to tackle uh, passages like these. Because again, the moment you start saying, well, well, men are called to, to be this and women are called to be this. Listen, let me make this statement clear. Men and women, the Bible makes this clear. Equal in importance. Equal in importance. Different in performance. But the but the moment you start making those kind of distinctions, some people are going to bristle. They're going to think, you, you know, this is the problem. The church is just a bunch of antiquated people, antiquated rules, and there you go again. You're you know you're going backwards in time, and you're and you're trying to just make all these different. Uh, uh, listen, in spending a few days with with Emerson you know, his PhD is in, is in uh, marriage and family. And, and he said, he's gotten thousands and thousands and thousands of emails. He said, Gary, I, you know, they're, they're so, they're so great now. I can't even catalog them anymore. But he says, let me tell you the number one thing that women, at least women who have attended his conferences, but thousands, thousands and thousands. He said, the number one thing that women are more concerned about as it relates to gender issues and men in particular is, is not that, that, a man is going to dominate them. The number one issue I get is that women are more concerned that men are not rising to spiritual leadership, that they're not assuming a God-given place of loving leadership. And uh, and in part, I think, because, and I'm going to be careful in saying this, but I'm going to say it, the feminist movement of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I think originally, just giving the benefit of the doubt that there's you know, goodwill originally behind it. The feminist movement of the 60s, 70s and 80s, I think originally was attempting to address the problem, and it was a problem and can still be a problem, of male chauvinism. But in the process, it emasculated men and it shamed women who don't fit into the feminist narrative. See, if you are a woman and you don't fit into kind of the staunch feminism, uh, all of a sudden girl power goes away. You know, women, if you don't fit into the mold of the feminist narrative... Then other women will look on you as not one of us. So it's interesting how all of a sudden girl power doesn't really mean as much if you don't fit the narrative. And, and men in the process have become somewhat emasculated because they're concerned about, well, if, if I, if I assert leadership in any way, is that going to be misinterpreted as coming across as domineering and, and, you know, harsh? And so, so, so now there seems to be just a lot of confusion. I mean, I've never lived in a time where I've seen so much gender confusion, sexual identity confusion, uh, people who don't know. And, and listen, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there aren't problems. There are problems. I mean, you know, now what's coming to light, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins and, and, and a lot of ways that men have mistreated women, that, that needs to be addressed. That needs to be dealt with. Some of what's come out of this is, is good, but then there's a whole nother segment of all of this sexual identity and gender confusion that have left people wondering, what does it mean to be a man anymore? What does it mean to be a woman anymore? And how can you rest in that and appreciate each other's differences? And can we even mention that there are differences? Because I thought we're all supposed to be kind of genderless. I mean, it's nuts. So, so here's what I would say that, you know, as a pastor, and as a Christ follower, how about we just kind of return to the basics and we just kind of look at the Bible and say, okay, this is how God values men. This is how God values women. This is, how, this is what God says in terms of how men should take on certain responsibilities and women should take on certain responsibilities. And why don't we appreciate those differences and, and respect one another and value one another and, and do it God's way? How, how about we return to that? Amen? I mean, just get back to the basics. So that said, Paul starts here addressing the men in verse 8. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So he starts with the men here. And for those of you taking notes, here's basically what he's saying. He says, men are called by God to set the spiritual example everywhere. Now, I I don't know that means, you know, like at Walmart and, you know, everywhere. Does that mean, you know, but it just simply means that wherever a man serves in the body of Christ and within his home, and I think Paul's writing in a generic sense, like wherever this letter is read, everywhere, men who are Christ followers and who, who live for the glory of God should be setting the spiritual example. Men should set the spiritual example. I, I so appreciate that women have, in, in many regards, had to take up the spiritual leadership mantle because in, in some cases, men were so passive that they have to sometimes step in. And then you have other scenarios too where you even have single, single moms raising kids and there isn't a dad there. There isn't a man to be a spiritual leader. So of course, uh, you know, a single mom's going to have to step into that role and be a spiritual leader too for your own kids. But, but the responsibility falls on the man. To be that spiritual example, lifting up hands in prayer without anger or disputing. And, you know, there's many verses in the Bible about lifting hands, not just in, in praise, but also here in prayer, just, just as a posture of just surrender. It's appropriate in prayer if you just want to raise your hands in prayer and, and just, you know, honoring God and just that position again of, of humility and surrender. And But that's all he says here to the man. It's just one verse in verse 8. He's basically calling men to take up the spiritual mantle of leadership and, and be the loving leader and the example of Christ everywhere. And that means that as a, as a Christ follower, that man should always be doing the best he can to be a proper reflection of Christ. That if he's really a loving, godly, humble man, women won't fear that. It's when a man becomes this domineering and I'll I'll show you and loud and abrasive and you know and and you know I'm the man of this house and asserts that kind of bravado, then then that's typically when when a woman's just going to recoil like that's I don't want to follow that kind of a guy. So we're called to set an example, but but it's because we're following Christ. Now verses nine through the end here through verse fifteen, he addresses women here, and here's where it he gets you know a little. little interesting. So verse, verse nine says, I also want women to dress modestly, circle the word modestly. We'll come back to that with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So now if any of you are wearing pearls, you're like, Oh no, should I take them off? And, and some of you are now letting the braids down, you know, and like, so listen, don't go Amish on me. I don't think that that's, He's not saying, you know, look like you walked out a little house in a prairie. I, all he's saying here, I'm going to summarize it. This is what he's saying here. He's saying that a woman's real beauty is not defined by outer appearance, but by an inner relationship with Christ. That's what he's saying. L- listen, this would be true for men and women. But ladies, listen to me on this, because men typically, because they're more visually stimulated, sometimes women can take advantage of that. I've, I've had women come to me and confess to me and say, I know how to work it. I know how to work it to turn a man's head. And, and they've admitted, like, you know, I know that's not right. And again, you know, men could do this too, but but women have an ability to really play on the fact that men are more visually stimulated. And, and all he's saying here is, don't let your motive be, I want to see if I can turn heads. Just dress in a way that is honorable and modest. Now, the word modesty here is actually the Greek word kosmios, and we get our English word cosmetics. So he, he's saying, go ahead, you know, Cosmetics, not a bad thing. Dress modestly, cosmeos. Splash a, a little paint, it doesn't matter. If it, 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 anyway, I mean, just, you know, it's okay. You don't, don't have to be all plain Jane. You know, it's okay to look nice, look your best. But if your motive is, I want to turn heads, well, well then that's, that's a reflection of the heart. So what he's saying here is, the real beauty of a woman is her relationship with Christ. I had a, a guy in young adults, might even be here, so no names, but, uh, say to me recently, Man, I just this this girl, this young lady is just, you know, heavy on my heart and I just I just I can't get her off my mind. And I, I asked him a few questions, but one of the questions I asked was, Is she a godly woman? Does she love Jesus? And he goes, Oh yeah and he says, That's one of the most things I find attractive about her. And and that's true because what Paul is saying here is that it's not it's not just about all this outward stuff, but it's about an inner relationship with with Christ. But then in verses 11 to 15, he talks about how a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Okay, let, me, let me pause there and then we'll, we'll read on. Again, part of the makeup of the synagogue is important to understand here. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 15, uh, talks about being silent in, in church as well. And here's what you need to know about the dynamics of a typical Jewish synagogue. They, they again had men on one side, women on another side. And what would sometimes happen is in the middle of a reading from the Torah... Back in the day, a woman might stand up and ask her husband, because even husbands and wives couldn't sit together. So she's yelling across the synagogue, Hey, Moisha, what, what does that mean? And Moisha'd be like, Well, what it means is, and then there'd be this, and so Paul's like, Hey, 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 ladies, listen. If you want to ask your husbands a question, ask them at home, but don't disrupt because we want there to be some order and propriety in the church. So that's what he says to the letter to the Corinthians in his, in first Corinthians. And, and so what he's saying here is something somewhat similar about, you know, remaining silent. He's just talking about here, the same kind of propriety in worship, but this, this whole thing about not permitting a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. So here's where it gets a little tricky, and I will tell you right up front, there are other churches who will disagree with me on this. But number three, let me just kind of summarize what he's saying here, is is that a woman is free to use her gifts throughout the church. And I want to emphasize that. Uh, But there is this lone prohibition about teaching, specifically laying down doctrine, slash having authority, because he uses it together there, that God is reserved for men as pastors and elders. Now again, it's God's prerogative to say, I want want women to focus on this, and I want men to focus on this. I want this to be their responsibility, and this to be their responsibility. I mean, it's God's prerogative to do that. This does not mean that women can't teach in the church. There's plenty of places. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, women are commanded to teach the next generation of women. So there are plenty of places that women can teach, but in laying down doctrine in that sense of teaching and having authority, this is where Paul says "Uh, that's going to be reserved for men. Now, again... There are some churches, many churches, that will ordain women as pastors, that will have women sitting in positions of elders as, uh, as office of authority in the church. We just don't agree with that because of the way we interpret this passage here. Now I'm going to get, and already, I've already gone over my time, I'm going to get to his objections and we're going to address what some standard objections are to this, but for just the moment, let me just address this next part. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. All right, now, what is all this about? This is not... Some people read this and think, well, that's a slam on women. Like, women are more gullible, and, and that's why Eve was deceived. It's, it's not a, a gullibility issue. It's here's, here's where Eve went wrong. She inverted God's order of loving leadership when she went from helpmate to leader. When Eve took matters into her hands and said, you know, now I, you know, it has this dialogue with the serpent, with Satan, and and then she takes of the fruit and gives to her husband. So she usurped God's design by by inverting the order here. But it isn't to say that Adam was this stand-up leader because he's standing right there. She took and gave to him, so he was passive. So it isn't to say, well, you know, women have all the problem here. It's just that where she was deceived is in inverting the order, and so Paul is simply saying there's a right order that God has designed. Now again, listen, if, if some of you take issue with this, don't email me, Send sendjesusatheaven.com. I'm just trying to tell you that that he's saying that there's an order that he wants in the home. There's an order of authority in the church. And, and it isn't at all to diminish the wonderful contribution and giftings of women. There's just this lone prohibition. So I don't want any lady leaving here feeling like, well, can I not serve in the church? Yes, you can serve anywhere. There's just this one area of laying down doctrine slash authority. By the way, this is also prescriptive for the church. It doesn't mean that women cannot be wonderful CEOs, prime ministers, and presidents. That's clearly the case where women can be wonderful in other positions of leadership in corporate world or government, but God has prescribed something in the church, in the church. Now, what's that last part, though, about women will be saved through childbearing? This sounds a little Mormon here. And if they continue in faith, if you know anything about the Mormon faith, that's where they go with this. Here's basically what, what he's saying here. He's saying here that the woman's importance will never be lost because by God's design, he has given the woman the vital place of doing something that no man can do, which is having babies. Having children and her influence will be in raising the next generation and investing spiritually in those children whom she has birthed or adopted and brought into the family, into the home. And Timothy himself, the recipient of this letter, is a perfect example of this because in Second Timothy, you don't need to turn, but in Second Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. The, the credit for Timothy's faith was given to his mother and his grandmother. There's no father or grandfather mentioned. It was the influence of godly women in his life. So, in other words, ladies, if you, if you bristle a little bit at the idea that, well, wait a minute, are we, we're not supposed to be in positions of authority in the church? You know, what, uh, that makes me feel like some kind of second class. Listen, there's something in particular that God has reserved for you that no man can do. And the wonder and beauty of the miracle of giving birth and the, and the spiritual influence of your children should never be diminished. That has an, estimable value of the contribution in raising the next generation and what is that saying the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world because it's it's true of the influence of women and and uh, their ability to to nurture and to love and to spiritually uh, raise their children now i'm going to save the objections to next week but here but i'll tell you what i'll tell you what the objections are and then we'll talk about this next week well, this is Paul's opinion because he says in chapter 2, verse 12, I do not permit. We're gonna talk about that. So this is just Paul's opinion. This isn't what God says. And then the other typical objection is this is first century advice, but times have changed. So we'll take a look at that next week.
1: Is an open ocean. Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones, your connection run towards your new life. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary's teaching in 1 Timothy may be at an end today, but you are encouraged to continue studying for yourself. God speaks through His Word, and He wants to interact with you as you read. We're so glad you joined us, and we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you, our valued listener, with each new edition of this program. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could specifically be lifting up to the Lord? Or anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? If so, please let us know. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you join us in praying for your fellow listeners, too? Pray that the gospel message would be heard loud and clear every time they tune in, and that their hearts would be changed by Christ. Pray, too, for Pastor Gary and this ministry that we would remain focused on God's truth and not on what we desire. Thanks for praying. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, or if you're in the area and would like to come visit us in person, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more from 1 Timothy, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you a wandering soul